absolutely worthy. You guys can be seated if you can in the presence of the Lord this morning. Thank you so much, worship team, for leading us into the presence of God. Uh, there's a big difference between going to church and being a church. Yeah, there's a big now. difference between gathering together for some kind of religious ceremony and actually encountering the presence of God. We're so glad that you're here with us today to encounter the presence of God. Welcome to Eastgate Church. My name is Josh. I'm the lead pastor here, which I often say means that I am the lead servant in the house. Um, I always put out a word of caution. Any form of leadership that seeks to be served rather than to serve is satanic in nature, and it doesn't line up with God's flow for leadership and how things are supposed to operate. So, um, But we're so glad that you guys are here with us today. You're not guests any longer. You're family, so kick your shoes off and relax and get ready for a great word today. We've got a lot going on in the house today for sure. Um, on the front end of the message, I'll just, I'll just drop a few things on you. Um, E-students tonight, listen, if you're a student or you're a parent of a student, middle school to high school, you want to be here at 5 o'clock this afternoon. It is going to be amazing. We're starting a new message series in E-students e tonight um, dealing with relationships not just dating and romantic relationships, but how to get along with other people. And check this out, how to have a great relationship in the home with the parents. Listen, if you don't understand the dynamics of relationships, it's going to be hard to function in life, period. So we want to make sure we're equipping the students. That starts off tonight. After service today, um, immediately after service, we have a, an interest meeting for our Christmas service. This is coming up. It seems crazy to be having this in September, but December will be here before you know it. And so we want to touch base with everyone interested in serving in the Christmas service this year. Um, all the gifts, all the talents that are in this room, I can't wait to see that come together in unity to be used by God on that service day to see lives transformed because that's what it's all about. Amen? Oh, uh, y'all are, are slowly waking up this morning. Let me just try that again. All right, amen? amen. All right, that's what I'm talking about. So there's a lot going on. So after service, um, and even towards the end of service, you're going to see people beginning to move to get food in place. We're going to feed you for this meeting following service. And listen, listen, if we don't get anything right here at this church, we try to get the food right. All right, so, so, uh, so there's going to be some good groceries after service, so hang out. Don't worry about lunch. Let lunch be on us today, and we'll go over the plan and vision for Christmas, and then you can decide if you want to participate in it. You're not committing to anything by being here for that meeting. You're just kind of catching a glimpse in the vision. And you know what? If you just want to grab some free lunch and sit it in the back and just roll on out when the meeting's done, I'm cool with that too. Have some lunch on us today. We're just glad that you're here. So we're going to continue this little series that we've got going called Storyteller, just looking at parables that Jesus taught from. And I'm telling you, man, Jesus was a master teacher. He really was. Anytime Jesus would begin to speak, I, mean, I just... I wish I could time travel and go back and just be a fly on the wall, just somebody in the back of the crowd, just to hear the tone and the wisdom and the knowledge that was dropped by Jesus in these moments because there's so much depth when he teaches. There's so, many, so much depth in these parables. It's not just what you're reading. There's just layers and layers of spiritual truth in these things. And I believe that God's going to speak to us today in multiple layers. While I'm talking, the Holy Spirit's going to be talking to you. And because you realize it's my job to deliver the Word of God. It's the Holy Spirit's job 
to bring it home in our hearts. You know what I mean? So he's going to be doing what he does today. I'm going to do what he's told me to do. We're going to get into a wonderful parable today. If you want to go ahead and get a jump on this, turn to the book of Luke chapter 10. We're not going to go there just now, but I know it takes a second to get Bibles open and tablets dialed in. Um, feel free to pull out the Bible app and read along with us if you want to. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that at all. And I'd remind us, hey, if you would, take a second and check in so people know that you're here and maybe like and share the live stream today so that we can get this message out to as many people as possible. While I'm talking to you right now, uh, our uh, church services from previous weeks are going out over the radio all across the state of Georgia to a potential listening audience of millions of people. I think that's absolutely amazing. Soon to be the state of South Carolina, too, as more stations go up in the Radio Condry Network. So it's just crazy to think that us here in little bitty old Douglasville, Georgia, are reaching more people than you think for the kingdom of God. And uh, if y'all would, share that live stream so we can continue to, to reach people um, through social media. That would just be absolutely awesome. Have you guys ever felt awkward in a yes. crowd before? Yes. Like maybe you're feeling awkward this morning. Like if you're a guest here, you showed up and you're like, wow, I came for a church service. This is just a little bit different. And your radar might be just going a little bit faster trying to figure out what's going on and be at peace we're just regular folks that that love jesus and we get excited because we know who we used to be yeah. and we know what god's doing in us listen if you're looking for a perfect church i'll tell you this this is not it this is not it just keep on rolling down the road but if you're looking for a church full of people that love jesus and are doing the best we can to serve him you found a good place Amen. to grow I'll tell you that uh, feeling awkward in, in crowds. I do this all the time, man. It, you ever, like, told somebody something you thought was funny and they just look at you like you lost your mind? All the time. So how many would y'all would say all the time that happens? This is, yeah, most of us. So us are telling the ones that didn't raise the hands some jokes. Do us a favor. Throw us a bone. Just chuckle a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Help us out. I just... So many times I feel like I don't fit in in situations. Um, I speak fluent sarcasm. Yes. Man, if you're, if you're going to hang out with me, you just got to be ready. Cause I speak, anybody else speak fluent sarcasm in the house? Yeah, I love it. And, and I have a hard time being around people that are just real literal. And matter of fact, you know, because they'll say something crazy and they'll just look at you like you just spoke a foreign language to them. Not everybody speaks sarcasm. I get it. Not everybody kind of has a, a slightly warped sense of humor, you know, but, but um, I think all of us kind of fit into those categories somehow, some way, you know. You put me on a dance floor, some of y'all would be at home on a dance floor. I'm going to look like I'm the most uncoordinated person that needs to go to physical therapy that you've ever seen in your life. You know, I'm probably going to hurt myself. Um, and uh, I, I get it. In some rooms, you're real comfortable in, and, and in some rooms, you're not comfortable in at all. And one of the things that I like about the Bible, and especially this story that we're going to, this parable that we're going to unpack today is that it's kind of geared towards the outsiders. It's kind of geared towards those people that every once in a while you find yourself in a place where you don't really fit in. You know, that you're there, but you're just there. You're not clicking with what's happening and, and all of that stuff. Uh, this book of Luke is written by a guy named Luke, and a lot of people don't realize this. Luke being one of Jesus' disciples and one of the four writers of the Gospels that we have, 
He's the only one of the writers of the Gospels that was not a Jew. Luke was a Gentile. He's an outsider. He wasn't cool like the rest of them. Now, if you're rolling with Jesus, who's the Messiah, and you're a Jew in that day, you're, you're from the right tribe, you're from the right people, you got the right skin tone, you know the laws, you grew up. And all, but Luke didn't have that. When you f look back on Luke's family tree, you're not going to see David killing Goliath. When you look back on Luke's family tree, you're not going to see his people being led out of Egypt by Moses. You're not going to see the lineage of Jesus necessarily connected to Luke's background and Luke's story. He's kind of on the outside looking in in this group that's an inner circle around Jesus. So while he's as close as can be to Jesus, he's got a different perspective on this thing because he's not in the cool club. And so Luke includes a lot of things in his Gospels that you're not going to find in a lot of the other Gospels. Uh, you'll see stories about outsiders being ministered to by Jesus. You're going to see uh, the parable of the prodigal son. You're not going to see that um, really in other Gospels, the way that Luke brings it out. Uh, Jesus ministering to a prostitute, an outsider. You're not going to see that. Zacchaeus, the tax collector, you're not going to see that, but you'll find it in the gospel of Luke because it meant something a little bit special to him, I think, to show that Jesus just wasn't there for the pretty people. Jesus didn't show up for the religious people or the people that had the right pedigree or the right DNA or the right background or the right qualifications, that when Jesus showed up, he ministered to all people, all nations, because we all need a Savior. I think that's absolutely amazing. And so Luke writes from a different point of view and a different bias. And I, I love that because so many times in my life, I felt like the outsider. I felt like the outcast. I kind of felt like even in school on the outside looking in, I didn't really fit. I didn't really click with people. I, going through school, I didn't really fit. I didn't really click with those people. And even in the world I'm in right now as a pastor, I definitely don't fit. And I definitely don't click with the circles that I'm supposed to run around with because I just have never figured out really how to be a pastor. But I have figured out how to be Josh. Amen. And if I can be Josh and serve God, then the pastor stuff will take care of itself. You know, I figure that'll all work out. But I just, I just, and maybe this hits with somebody, you just always have a different view, a different perspective. And I love that Luke writes from that. Luke chapter 10, we're going to get into the intro to this parable of the Good Samaritan. But I love the way that this starts out. Verse 25 says, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Bad idea. <laughs> That's just bad idea. I'm just telling you, man, an expert in the law. So if he's an expert in the law then this guy was what would have been considered a, a uh, lawyer of the temple, in a way. Um, so he would have been qualified like a priest, but he was able to speak to the law, as it were, in the Old Testament law, with a certain level of expertise that not everyone serving in the temple could. So he thought he knew his stuff. But uh, you just can't take some notes about the word and go question the word himself about it. Uh, it's just you, you brought not even a knife to a gunfight. You brought a piece of bubble gum and you tried to set it up in front of a battleship full of cannons that are about to take you out. You know, just 
horribly outgunned. So he stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked. Uh, I can almost hear the sarcasm in his voice. Because this is happening in a day where Jesus was not the most popular cat in town. All right. He had, his ministry had been going on for just a little bit. And while um, the common people loved him, the religious people hated him. The Pharisees couldn't stand him because this guy was talking about forgiveness and he was talking about forgiveness of sin and he was walking around miracle, 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 miracle and they had no explanation for it. They hated this guy because the message he brought was one of reconciliation, not of hostility, which is what they had created in the religious system that they had. So he says, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life. Second mistake. So his whole perspective is he wants to know what he needs to do. What do I do? What action do I need to take? And that's actually pretty par for the course with the mindset that they would have had then because Old Testament law, everything was about doing the right things, obeying the laws. And if you did the right stuff and you were perfect with regard to the law, then you found favor in God's eyes and you could gain eternal life. That was, that was the whole world that they lived in. So he's asking a question from his perspective, and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus hits him back, and I love this. He's, you can almost hear the sarcasm in Jesus' voice. He says, what's written in the law? Billy bad boy, you tested me, let me test you. What's written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? You know, there's a big difference between how we interpret the Bible and how God actually intended for it to come across. A lot of times our opinions and preferences get in the way and, and put seasoning on that word that God never intended to be on that word. And so he asked, how do you read it? And he answered, oh, this is a good, this is a good answer. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus answered, you've answered co correctly. Do this and you'll live. You know, good luck. Good luck. Good luck. Jesus said, yeah, you can, if you can do that, if you can love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, every second of every minute of every hour of every day and never mess up on that or let anything else take priority in your heart or in your mind. If you can get that and you can love your neighbor just like you love yourself all the time, flawlessly, oh, you got it. Go for it. Jesus is letting this guy know that there is no way that he can get eternal life on his own. Jesus is just kind of reiterating the, the, how high the bar is and how far short we all fall from reaching that. You know, it's just, I mean, and, and the truth is, if we could love perfectly, we would be perfect. And we aren't, and therefore we need a Savior. And I think this is the bigger point that Jesus is making leading into this parable. And so the guy fires back because now Jesus has got him in a corner. So he's got to justify some stuff here and, and define some stuff. In verse 29 of Luke chapter 10, this, this lawyer, this expert in the law, 
It says, but he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who's my neighbor? You know, it's like, oh, yeah, I got, the, I got the love God stuff, all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and I, I can handle all of that. Um, let's just clarify, though, since we're talking, uh, who's, who's this neighbor, dude? Who are, the, who are these neighbor people that I'm supposed to love like myself? Who are these people that I'm supposed to love like myself? It's a good question. It's a good question. I mean, let's be honest. Do we love everybody as much as we love ourselves? Probably not. Probably not. And some of you are like, yes, pastor, I love everyone the same way I love. And maybe you do, and I think that's awesome if that's really real in your heart because I believe that could be possible as it flows out of a relationship with Jesus. But I think most people struggle with that just a little bit. We tend to be selfish on our own. Um, and you might deny it, but I'll tell you this, if I were to pull out my camera right now and just start <laughs> snapping pictures of the crowd, see, the guys are just looking all tough all of a sudden, and the, most of the ladies are like real quick <laughs> checking stuff. Why? Because it, it kind of matters a little bit. But if I were to take a picture of the crowd this morning and had the media team put it on the big screen behind us this morning, who would be the first person you try to find in that photo? You look why? Because we're dialed in on us, right? We want to make sure, oh, Lord, I look a lot worse than I thought I did this morning. I just, I just you ever been betrayed by a mirror? Oh, my goodness. Like, sometimes at the house, I'll look at myself in the mirror and be like, okay, it's not too bad. And then I'll get up here at church in different lighting and in front of a different mirror, and I'm like, oh, my Lord. One of these two mirrors is telling a horrible lie, and I hope it's the one here because, you know what I mean? It just looks really bad but yeah so we, we tend to be selfish on our own jesus then attempts to answer two questions with one parable what do we have to do to inherit eternal life and who is our neighbor now probably some of you have heard this story before this parable before probably you've heard it a lot in church um but I think there's a little bit more to it than just the surface glance attention that it gets sometimes in church. It's like with football, um, if I were to, to, to describe a football game to you, and I said, well, football is about people in a crowd shouting and having fun. And football is about seven people on a field dressed in black and white striped uniforms with a yellow flag controlling what happens in a game. Oh, that's part of what happens in football, but that's not the entirety of the game, right? So when you read Scripture and you study the Word of God, it's important to take the whole picture in and look at all the angles and try to discern exactly what the Lord is speaking, not just what quickly catches our eye. So Jesus starts to tell this parable, which, by the way, if he would... My, my goodness, if he would have told this parable in a church, the church would have split. This is how controversial what Jesus is about to do is. If he had walked into a biker bar and told this story, there had been a brawl that would have broke out over this story that Jesus is about to tell. So in reply, Jesus said, verse 30, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, 
When he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now, this road that this guy was on, it's a popular road between, uh, between Jerusalem and Jericho. It's about 17 miles long, and it got pretty consistent travel between the two cities, but it was very remote in parts. I mean, you would think with 17 miles of road uh, between two cities, there's going to be some stretches where you're not going to get cell phone reception. You know what I mean? So, so um, when, when people would walk on this thing, they would always go in groups or in caravans because in those isolated places, there were bandits. There were going to be robbers because they knew that if they could catch someone alone, that they could take advantage of them because there was nowhere close by for them to get help from. I'll tell you what, a 50-cent lesson on the front part of this parable is, listen, don't do life alone. Amen. This guy became a victim because he was traveling by himself. Right? I know sometimes we want to be tough and just do things on our own. And listen, you should be responsible for certain aspects of your life. But God hasn't called any of us to live like islands on our own. Okay? If you're a believer, you're a part of what the Bible calls the body of Christ. You know what I mean? If I took my pretty little pinky right here and cut it off and laid it on the stage, it would not last very long separate from the body. And the same thing is true with us. When we separate ourselves from connection with the body of Christ, we begin to die spiritually. And I don't care how you sell it. I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Well, this is what I know. People that are close to God are in the house of God worshiping Him. That's what I know. So when the Bible says don't forsake the assembling of yourself together, there's a reason for that because the devil looks for people that are isolated so he can take them out. Yeah. You know what I mean? You ever watch the Discovery Channel or Animal Planet and you, got, you know what's going to happen. They, they, you see the peaceful zebras or the wildebeest over there just grazing and then the music changes. Da -da -da, and then they show the lion prowling and you're like oh no y'all about to get messed up it's like they don't know when they're out there on the plains when the music changes they should be getting out of town <laughs> i don't understand so here comes the lion and every time when the wildebeest or the zebras or whoever they take off running there's going to be one joker that's going to break right while everybody else is going straight and i'm like ah oh, that's it it's over it is just a matter of time and sure enough that's the one that gets eaten when you isolate yourself you open up yourself to get picked on in a different kind of way. So listen, man, stay connected. Stay connected. Let people pray for you. Let people help you out. Don't be that solo soldier. Listen, you, you'll die a glorious death on the battlefield that you never had to die. Man, be part of the body of Christ. So this guy's laying on the side of the road. He had had a bad day. All right, he didn't just get beat up. He is naked on the side of the road. Anytime you're naked, beat up, bleeding on the side of the road, half dead, that's a bad day. There's just some things a cup of sweet tea can't fix, and that's one of them. So a priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. And so too a, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. Jesus is just digging in on this expert of the law. Can you imagine how offensive this is? Like the two people that should have and could have done something. Like Jesus pretty much is just saying, you, 
you little Mr. Expert of the law. So a priest walks by, doesn't want to get unclean, doesn't want to mess with it, actually goes to the other side. On the other side, here comes a Levite, which is like an assistant in the temple, does the same thing, walks by on the other side. You know, religion always avoids the real work of changing the world. Religion always knows what to do. Religion's always good about encouraging other people to do things, but never willing to get into the game themselves. Well, we should get out there. Well, who are you talking to about Jesus? Well, I, I don't feel comfortable. I, I just, I, well, we need to do something to fix this. What are you doing to serve in the church? Well, I don't do, you know what I'm saying? Great ideas for everybody, but never wanting to jump in and, and get things done. And so religion fails this guy. Verse 33, oh, man, here's where the fight just starts, man. This is just where the church splits, where the bar brawl breaks out. But a Samaritan, whoo, everybody say Samaritan. Samaritan. Oh, my gosh. We're going to dig into this in a second. A <laughs> Samaritan, as, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. And then he went to him and bandaged his wounds pouring oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey. Come along, donkey. Put him on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave it to the innkeeper. That was enough money to pay for this guy to stay in that hotel for two months. Two months. Wouldn't it be awesome if somebody put you up in a hotel for two months? That'd be the best vacation ever. That'd just be awesome. And he says, look after him. When I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. That's a good heart. But a Samaritan, and some of you may know this, but I don't think we appreciate the gravity of this man. Listen, if you were a Jew, the Samaritan can't be the hero of your story. Cannot. Cannot. About 723 B.C., a little over 700 years before Jesus was born, the Assyrians invaded part of Israel. Okay? They won the battle. They took over a territory in Israel. And what they did was they captured some of the people and took them back to Assyria and forced them to intermarry with their people. And the Assyrians took some of their people and set up in this new region in Israel that they had conquered and they began to intermarry with the Israelites or the Jews in the area. Big no-no. Big no-no. So the Jewish people were, one, kind of embarrassed because they lost the battle and lost the territory and lost all this stuff. But the insult to injury was the intermarrying. And the people that were living in the region of Samaria were never looked at the right way by the Jewish people or the rest of the Israelites. They were, they were treated like the oddballs. They were on the outside looking in. Like they were part Jewish and part Assyrian, but they were a little too Assyrian to be considered a Jew, and they were a little too Jewish to be considered an Assyrian. So they didn't really fit in except in their own little world. And during the time of Jesus, there was about a million of them in that region. So it was not a small group of people 
They, they, you know, they, they could have had a good family Thanksgiving if they wanted to and just lived amongst themselves. But they were looked at a certain kind of way, and they were always thought of, listen to this, this is what they would call them. They call them half-breeds. Half-breeds. In fact, it was just common. If you saw a, a Samaritan, if you were a Jewish person, to just point them out and make fun of them and call them a half-breed. Sup, half-breed? Oh, boy, how would that go over? You know what I mean? Half what? Ah, you know. So there's a lot of hostility and tension there. It was common for the Jewish families to pray. This prayer, somewhere in the prayer, they would say, God, we thank you. We thank you that we are not Samaritans and that we will be risen in the resurrection and be with you. Boy, the hate bus had a lot of gas in it between the two, okay? It, it was just amazing, the hostility. Um, and, and when Jesus actually, later on in this passage of Scripture, when you read it in your own time, he, he goes and he just, point, just poses the question. He says, listen, um, of these people, the priest and the Levite and the Samaritan, who showed compassion to the person that was beat up? This expert in the law wouldn't even say the Samaritan. He said, the person who showed pity on him. That's how ingrained this was. They would, he wouldn't even acknowledge it. This is how offensive what Jesus is doing is to these people. He, you want to know who your neighbor is? Let me show you who your neighbor is. Wow. That guy. It's crazy. This is how ingrained it was. Like, so before they got to this conversation that was happening, Jesus tried to travel into the region of Samaria to do some ministry, and the Samaritans wanted nothing to do with him. They wouldn't rent a room to his disciples because of who they were. This is Hatfield and McCoy kind of stuff except up another level, they wanted nothing to do with them. And so look at the mature response the disciples had when they came back and told Jesus that the Samaritans wouldn't rent a room to them or have anything to do with them or wouldn't accept them in the region. In Luke chapter 9, going back a chapter in verse 54, when the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? Let's just burn the whole place down, Jesus. <coughs> Man, you ever had somebody push enough buttons in you to just say, you know what, God, I know you said to love them, and I love that you love them, but if you wanted to do something, I'd be okay with it. You know what I mean? He's like, let's just call down fire from heaven. Let's burn them all. Let's have a Samaritan barbecue. And Jesus is like, ah, uh, no. He turned and rebuked them. I would love to know verbatim what Jesus said in that moment. You know what I mean? But Jesus is making this huge point. That guy. That guy is the one. That person is the one. Not religion. Not the priest. Not the Levite, it's the Samaritan. That's crazy. I got a question for you this morning. I know we're all in church and we're having fun. Uh, who's your Samaritan? 
Man, who's that person? If they walked in the room right now, who's that person? This is the point that Jesus is making here. Because if you can't love them the way they should be loved, you can forget about the rest of it. Jesus is just pulling a ninja move here on this expert of the law, saying, okay, you know the stuff, but there's no way you can keep the standard. And if you want to know who the neighbor is that you're supposed to love, like yourself, it's this guy. It's that person. It's that person at work. It's that person in the family gatherings. It's that person that you used to date. It's that person that you used to know. It's that person. Well, real quick sometimes to turn the page and say, God, I want to serve you. And God just, you know, let's, let's flip that page back and let's go to this issue because we're not ready to move on with the rest of this chapter because we still need to deal with this verse right here. Who's that person? It's amazing. The half-breed, the dirty dog, the less than. That's who Jesus makes the hero. It's crazy to me. An outsider looking in. Someone that you would not expect at all being the one. And it could be that that person that we have disdain for the most, at least in this moment, is the tool that God could be using to highlight a different or a more, a more real issue in our hearts. Maybe that person that you can't stand to be around is the tool that God's trying to use to show you that you need to learn how to heal, release, and trust Him. Maybe they're the tool that God's using to let you know that you don't love at the level that you could be loving at. It's amazing. Now, it, it, it goes to... Uh, and I want to take some pressure off. We're going to back up just a little bit. Just, all right, I can see everybody squirming just a little bit. All right, go back up just a little bit. There's different layers to this thing, too. The religious guy didn't do it. The assistant didn't do it. It was the Samaritan that did it. And I can't help but think about how the Samaritans were treated like half-breeds, and they were a blend of two different people, in a way, and I thought for a second, I, mean, I wonder if on a deeper level that while Jesus is showing this guy there's no way you can meet the standard of the law that's set, at the same time with the same story, he's sharing the story of the gospel with him. Because Jesus stepped out of heaven 100% God and stepped into earth and became 100% human. And while there was never a conflict between the two, he was two people at the same time. He was born in the flesh and lived of the Spirit at the same time. The Bible says that he was rejected by men, that he was the stone that the builder rejected. 
he was rejected by the same religious people that would have rejected the Samaritan in the day too. And it's funny because that victim on the side of the road in a way kind of represents you and me when you think about it, you know. That just, at, at one point we were all just beat up and jacked up by life and by sin and by what had taken place, left half dead or half spiritually dead on the side of the road, not able to take care of ourselves. And so religion failed us. Maybe the people in the church failed us, and they couldn't do it. But when Jesus stepped foot on the scene, he was the one that made the difference. He was the one that healed. He was the one that restored. He's the one that took care of us and put us in a place where we could get back up on our feet. You understand? It's, it's not just the Samaritan. This is Jesus and the gospel at work here. I praise God for what he did. He didn't have to, but he did. He did. He didn't turn his back. We could give God praise for just a second for that right there, I think, in the house. It's amazing. So if Jesus set that example, then we should follow that example. So I wanted to look really quick at what this Samaritan did in the situation. Just some real quick one, two, threes for us today. Are y'all ready for this? It is the first thing that I noticed about the Samaritan is that he saw the need. He saw the need. He saw the man on the side of the road, but I mean, the priest saw the guy on the side of the road, and the Levite saw the guy on the side of the road too, so maybe that's not just special, but it's the way that he saw them on uh, the guy on the side of the road. You know, if you will lift up your eyes and look around, you will see people all around you that are in need. You will see the hurting. You'll see the destitute. You will see those that are half dead spiritually around you that need someone to just speak a word of life and be that connection to the Lord. They're all around us all the time. He saw the need, but that wasn't just enough to see the need. The second thing was that he had compassion. He had compassion. And if you look at that word compassion, it's pretty cool because... The word play there is that he had empathy towards the person. In other words, he could relate. He could relate. Now, I know I'm not supposed to cross over onto this side of the road. I'm not supposed to jump over these spiritual tracks and do this because Samaritans and Jews don't get along, but I see myself in you. And I see the hurt that you have in me because I've been there. There's a level of selfishness that did not exist in this man's heart. It wasn't just, wow, sucks that you're struggling. I'll pray for you. It was, man, I know what that's like. What can I do to help? What can I do to help? a different way to see people and because he had compassion because he saw that then the third thing and this is really what matters the most he took selfless action he took selfless action see this cost him something it cost him something it will cost you something to help others 
It will cost you something to be Jesus with skin on to somebody else. It'll cost you something. It, it cost him his time. It cost him his convenience. It was an inconvenience to his schedule to help this guy. He had to change his plans on his way from point A to point B for at least a full day because he stayed with him through the night before he paid the innkeeper. So it cost him convenience. You know, when you help others, it's not going to be convenient. I don't know how it works in your world, but when my phone rings and people's worlds are falling apart, it's never when I want it to be. Ever. So the choice is, do we stay selfish or do we become selfless to help? Well, there's a deeper, there's a deeper meaning here. It cost him resources. He had to pay to put the guy up in the room. He had to give his own oil and wine to clean the wound and disinfect it and get it in a place where the wounds could be healed. He took the guy, the Bible says, put him up on his own donkey. That means that he walked so the other guy could ride. He put him before himself. Now, if that doesn't look like the gospel, I don't know what does he selflessly served this guy and I was thinking it's like well Old Testament says that you love the Lord your God with all your heart soul mind and strength you love your neighbor as yourself but Jesus is pointing out a deeper fact here that that just doesn't work because if I love somebody like I love myself let's be honest do you really love yourself all the time In John 13, Jesus revisits this principle and he adds a little bit more to it. He says, the new command I give you, love one another, not the way you love yourself. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. See, if you approach it from your love, then you're going to be caught up with your prejudices. You're going to be caught up with your preferences. You're going to get caught up in the way you see things. And Jesus says, you know what? What, what if I had approached you that way? But I didn't. Love each other the same way that I loved you. That's how you do it. That's how you love one another, selflessly. Whew. Now, that's hard to do. In fact, you can't do it in and of yourself, can you? I know I can't. So it, it has to be rooted in Jesus. And this is what I found out, that when we love like Jesus loves, then we'll see like Jesus sees. Our whole perspective changes. That as we draw close to him and he changes us from the inside out, we begin to see things differently. We begin to see things from his perspective. And instead of wanting revenge, we drop to our knees and pray. Then instead of putting up the walls and the defenses and, and just saying, you know what, I can do life without them. It hits your heart different. And you forgive. 
and love. Jesus says the way that you love yourself is not enough. You have to love like I love. Love the ones that you're not supposed to love. To take your time to be with them, to be inconvenienced, to put them before yourself, to take your resources and put your money where your mouth is and get behind the gospel that I've called you to live out in your life for all people. Not just the ones on the inside, not just the ones in your group, not just the ones that you're comfortable with, but those on the outside looking in. Those are the ones that I came for, and those are the ones that I'm calling you to go to. Doesn't matter what color their skin is. Doesn't matter. Well, I, I had, I've had a couple of people tell me, and it's, it's, the most, it's the most dumb thing I've ever heard in my life. It, Pastor Josh, you might want to consider moving your church further out west because the demographics of Douglas County is changing now, and if you want to continue to reach people that you reach, then you need to move further west to where your people are. Let me give you the code, all right? All right, there, there's a little more pepper moving in with the salt in this area. And you guys are salt, and you need to move out west where there's a little bit more salt so that you can reach the salt like you're supposed to reach and the pepper can reach. That, that's the, if God's called you to an area, God's called you to an area. The last time I checked, there is no color in Christ. There is no gender in Christ, all right? There's no Jew or Gentile, slave or free. The Bible says we are all one in Christ Jesus. That prejudice crap does not work. That's right. Not a, it, it, it's, it's so dumb. doesn't matter what color they are. doesn't matter what their background is. doesn't matter if they say it all right or they slip up and cuss every once in a while. doesn't matter. Listen, if Jesus died for them, who are we to say that they are not enough to sit at the foot of the cross that we enjoy? So who's your Samaritan? Be the Samaritan that crossed over to serve. You can see Jesus as a Samaritan, but for a moment we switch focus a little bit here, and now we're looking at the Samaritans in our lives. So many times we can act like the priest or we can act like the Levite. Come on, y'all. If it's real, it's got to be real. There's too much of this unspoken baloney in church. We're going to worship God till a Democrat comes in. The dumbest thing I've ever heard of in my life. There are some Democrats I would much rather hang out with than some Republicans. I'm telling you straight up, man. I'm just telling you. Is Jesus the focus? Is Jesus the goal? Is Jesus the reason why we're all here? That's why we need to take advantage of opportunities like next week where we have Eastgate one day where the goal is to just invite everyone that we can invite to bring into the house of God so we can give them the gospel and watch them change their lives like he's changed our lives. That's why the, the goal Jesus gave us is to go into the world, not gather in a building, but to go out. 
maybe all the transformation that you've been waiting to see in your world isn't dependent upon all the people you're waiting to see changed. Maybe it's you. Maybe it's your heart. Maybe it's your perspective. Maybe it's how you see that Samaritan. And I thank God that Jesus didn't take that position with us. Let's be Jesus. Let's cross over the tracks. Let's reach the unreachable. Let's love the unlovable. Let's forgive the things that we have found so far to be unforgivable. Because in the end, we all end up in front of that judgment seat of Christ. I don't know about you, but I don't want to let myself get in the way of taking as many people with me as I possibly can and depopulating hell and populating heaven. And, and, and I want the devil to shake in fear every time I wake up in the morning because I love like Jesus loves and I see like Jesus sees. Through the lens of the gospel and not myself. Let's all stand this morning. Father, I thank you for the truth of your word. Father, I thank you for what you're doing in the house today. Lord, I thank you for the word that you're giving us. Lord, to search our hearts, maybe we need to make some changes. Father, maybe we need to forgive some people. Lord, maybe we need to have conversations that we've justified putting off. And we tried to turn the pages, and you're trying to take us back to a certain verse and page to deal with that first. Lord, I know none of that matters, though, if we don't first take care of the question of all questions is, is Jesus Lord and Savior of our lives? Have we repented from our sin? Have we accepted Him as Lord and Savior? Have we made Him Lord of our lives? Do we have a relationship with Him like your word says? And the whole point of Jesus coming to die on the cross wasn't so we would have a great bedtime story. He paid the price for sin that we could not pay ourselves. He fulfilled that law that was impossible to fulfill on our own and extended that grace and love to us. All we have to do is accept it. <laughs> Father, I thank you. I thank you for the beauty of your gospel. Heads bowed, eyes closed, no one looking around. Just one quick question this morning. Are you ready to stand before God? Is Jesus really Lord and Savior of your life? Or is this church something that you just do every once in a while or something that you go to? Do you have a real active relationship with Jesus? Have, have you really repented of sin or did you just say a quick I'm sorry and then went back to the same lifestyle? See, there's a difference and a heart that's changed and a heart that's looking for a get out of hell free card and it's my prayer that all of our hearts in here would be changed by the power of God today if 
you're here today and you know you're not ready to stand before God, that you don't have a relationship with Jesus, that there is sin in your life that needs to be dealt with, I want to give you an opportunity to do that before we go on with the service. And I'm not going to call you out or try to embarrass you. This is going to be between you and me. I want to pray with you this morning. And if you're in the house today and you know that your heart isn't right and ready to stand before Jesus, but you want it to be, I want to pray with you this morning. So on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to lift your eyes up and look at me. And heads are bowed, eyes are closed, all in this room. No one looking around on the platform or it's just me and you. It's just me and you and God. On the count of three, if that's you, let's get this right today. Here we go. This is your moment. Here we go. Don't let it pass you by. It's time to get this right. One, two, three. Lift your eyes and look at me. If that's you, I see yours. I see yours. I see yours. I see yours. Praise God. I see yours in the back. Once you lift them up, you can put them back down. This is so powerful. I see yours right there. If you haven't lifted your eyes yet and you know you need to, lift them up and look at me. I want to make sure everyone gets an opportunity. I don't want to drag this out, but I want to make sure I see yours right there. Once you lift them up, you can put them back down. I see yours. Praise God for what he's doing in this place today. One last time, if you haven't lifted up your eyes yet to respond to this, and, and you know you need to, in your heart of hearts, you know you need to. One last time, lift them up and look at me. I want to make sure we get everybody in the place today. All right. Now, we're going to pray this prayer. If you lifted up your eyes, I want you to pray this and mean it from your heart. Now, Jesus is going to be responding to what's already happening in your heart, but the Bible is very clear that you believe in your heart, you confess with your mouth that he is Lord, and that's what we're about to do with this prayer. So we're believing, we're about to confess, and everyone in this room is going to pray this with us because here at Eastgate Church, we're real big on this, that no one walks alone, especially in moments like this. So you're in a church that's got your back. We're going to pray this with you. So everyone, if you would, repeat this after me. Jesus, Jesus thank, you thank you for dying for my sin. I receive your gift of salvation. I choose to repent of my sin. That means I walk away. And I know I'm not perfect, but I do know that as you change me, from the inside out, one day at a time, I'll become more like you. Change me. Make me a new creation. You're my Savior. You're my Lord. You're my King. Thank you in your name. Amen. Let's give God praise in the house for what just happened. Uh, you can be seated this morning if you can. What a powerful day in the presence of God. We got a few more things to, to cover this morning, and then we're going to switch gears and move into the Christmas informational meeting. Who's your Samaritan? Can you imagine what a church would look like if instead of seeing Samaritans, 
we saw Jesus and people in desperate need of a Savior. That if we saw ourselves and others and saw the same brokenness that Jesus healed in us and extended a helping hand to see if life's impacted and changed. Now that would be a church I'd want to be a part of. And that's the church Jesus died for. So let's be that church. Amen? Amen. God bless you. Come on, Rachel.